0: heard a teaching, uh, a story, a journal, journey about a man who experienced the joy of reconciliation with his father. Uh, it speaks to me deeply as well because, as I've told you before, with my own dad, we had an alienation that was very real until he was in his 70s. And he would never told me that he loved me, and I never really felt the acceptance that he showed to my older sister. It was one of those deals here. And, you know, you really have a difficulty in finding your identity if you're not really given that uh, affirmation, especially from the Father's blessing. Uh, All of us need that extraordinary blessing uh, that a child needs to receive, um, the threefold blessing of eye contact, physical contact, and the verbal blessing. When a father holds his son or daughter in his hands And says to him, looks him square in the eyes and says, you are my beloved child and I am pleased with you. That is the blessing that very few men have ever received. And I received that blessing later in life. And it's a great joy that in my experience... I started calling my dad every Tuesday morning. For you it became, why, I don't know. But for you it was Wednesday, for me it was Tuesday. But that again, it wasn't that it was something profound that we would share. But it was just the fact that we were on the uh, on a level now where we understood, we accepted and loved one another, and that there were no conditions. And that was a very real joy that I experienced. And that's why I often say that many of us need to be reparented. What if we our dads are dead and we never heard those words, you see? Uh, but we need to be reparented by the loving father who came to the prodigal, and, and when the prodigal came to him and he ran to the prodigal and he embraced him, he felt compassion for him. He threw his arms around him, he kissed him, and he gave him a great blessing. And that is what we need, and God the Father is one who gives us that extraordinary blessing. He gives us a way of living, he gives us an identity, and, a, and he redefines us in a profound and powerful way. I want to speak this morning a little bit about that, that notion of what it means to have joy in the midst of circumstances, even when we do not have what we want, and few of us really have all that we want, but we can, we can choose joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Uh, William Blake put it this way, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. What is he saying? He's saying if you try to cling to the thing itself, you'll never really have it. It'll go through your fingers. This life, even the greatest pleasures are ephemeral. They are evanescent. They, they come, and if you try to hold on to it, you might as well try to write your name on water. It just does not endure. There's got to be something more that that joy points to. And Blake is saying that if you appreciate and live in that present tense and receive God's joys as it comes to you, but not being defined by the external circumstances, but by the one that has defined us, the living God, then we can have a genuine sense of hope. one of the uh, most common and naive uh, tendencies and sentences in, in the English language is perhaps the following: If I can just get through this problem, then everything will be okay. We've alf- often heard that that statement, and you can have all kinds of variations uh, of that of that statement. Uh, as soon as I get a better job. I'll be more productive, or as soon as I, um, rec- what this relationship get, gets healed, or as soon as that happens, even down to trivial things. Uh, when I get this, then I'll be happy, or I'll be productive. And that's a real blunder for us to make because we're gonna, we're gonna try to define ourselves by lesser goods. And the fact that we uh, try to cling to certain experiences and preserve them can be a dangerous kind of a thing. Uh, We don't really get through life by uh, solving problems in any final way, but rather by responding more adequately as we move along. And I want to say then that the issue is not what comes to us, but our response to it. It comes down to how do we respond to the circumstances uh, that confront us. Much of the Bible, as we well know, was born in a context of great difficulty. And the reality is that it sometimes seems that when God is about to make permanent use of a man, he puts him through the fire. I have seen this again and again. In fact, the more serious you get about your spiritual walk, the more opposition you may discover that you're encountering on all kinds of levels. Uh, Because there is a warfare. We've talked about the trifold barriers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we realize that we are here in the warfare and the question's not going to be whether we fight in a warfare, but how we fight and what weapons we use, whether they're going to be spiritual weapons or whether they're going to be weapons of the flesh that will not avail. And so as a perspective that we need to embrace then, uh, I think that most people can per- spend their entire lives preparing to live, as Paul Tournier put it. They spend their whole lives getting ready to live. And then they run out of life. There's something tragedy about that. Um, the, the tragedy of discovering that uh, you never really found what life was about and you tried to cling to something that was beneath your dignity. It's the wrong attitude as well that we'll be joyful as soon as circumstances improve is in fact something that's clearly not the case with scripture. I find fascinating that, uh, for example, in scripture, um, there is joy that often appears in spite of circumstances. The Book of Habakkuk. How many of you read that lately? Probably not. You know, it's one of those things. If you have a Bible and the if it's gilded edges, you know, and the and the edges, that probably the gold is real bright still right there because you haven't been in there working through Habakkuk of late. Perhaps none of the minor prophets, but uh, actually there are some gems there. And one of the gems in this Book of Habakkuk is how it concludes. This is the great book that says the just will live by his faith. And it's it's quoted uh, three times in the New Testament in significant ways. It is the just um, who will live by faith. And, um, And it is faith that justifies us ultimately. But the idea is that Habakkuk is wrestling with God about the fact that the people in his country... Are people who are rebellious and who seem to be in need of divine judgment. And he says, How long are you going to wait until you bring things about and rectify things? But then when God answers him and tells him how it's going to happen, that he's going to use the Babylonians, the people who are even worse than they are, to do it, Habakkuk wrestles with God and he says, How can that be? That's even worse than we are. And God says, And he gives a perspective, but he doesn't fully answer Habakkuk's. Um, objections. Instead, he reveals something about himself. And apparently Habakkuk gets kind of a vision of God himself. And in spite of the fact that he doesn't understand all of God's ways, he realizes that God is in control. He has the best interests of his people at heart. He will keep covenant. And at the end of this book, it's very significant that Habakkuk writes these words in uh, chapter 3 and verses 17 and following. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice. Or in the Lord, in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds' feet. He makes me walk on my high places. What is He saying? Even if things do not work, even if it seems that everything falls apart, what is He saying He's going to do? He will still rejoice. And I want to argue then that the difference between happiness and between joy is profound. We've talked about this before. Happiness is circumstantially bound. It is related to the circumstances that you encounter. And consequently, when things are going well for you, um, with your friends, with your finances, with your health, you might feel happy. When things go poorly, you lose your happiness. But joy transcends that. Joy, on the other hand, is something which defies circumstances and can occur even in difficult times. Whereas happiness is a feeling, joy is an attitude. Indeed, you may say that joy is a choice. You can choose the way of joy because what you are now doing is allowing something bigger than your problems to define you, bigger than your circumstances to define you. You are in a bigger arena than that. And you discover then that God has called you to a higher calling. We do not want to let ourselves be defined by lower things, but rather to be defined by the ultimate. And when that occurs then, we can choose the way of joy. I can't choose to be strong, but I can choose to be joyful. And when I'm willing to do that, I believe strength can follow. I think that we, and when we look at the prophets, we see that there's always a message of condemnation and then there's a message of consolation. The condemnation is because of the wickedness of the people, but the consolation is because of the promise that God, in spite of our wickedness, though he brings judgment, will ultimately keep covenant and he, there is a future for us. And I think that what gives consolation is the ultimate perspective of future. Uh, it would give me little pleasure to see that my enemy is destroyed. At the end of the day, the real pleasure, the real joy is going to be found in God's eternal promise, you see. And that's why in the book of Hebrews, you see a, a men and women of faith. If you go to Hebrews 11, we've looked at this. But when I see these people, I find they have this thing in common. They're desiring something more than this world can sustain In verse uh, 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And in verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So what I see here then is the understanding that the one who comes to God, go back earlier in that chapter, in chapter 11, verse 6, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And if I look to him for the long term and recognize that ultimately all will be well and he will turn all around, I think that's a perspective that I can embrace in the midst of adversity. I can choose the way of joy is what I'm suggesting. And I believe then that choosing the way of joy is choosing the way of trust. When I trust him enough to believe that in spite of this, you will bring me to the other side. And furthermore, I look back at my own journey, and there have been very hard spots in my life, and he's brought me through those. And I can believe that if his promises are sure, that he will bring me safely to the other side. It's not a promise that life will be easy. In fact, we're pretty well assured that in this world you will have tribulation, but you can take courage, you can take joy, because I have overcome the world. We're in a larger story than that which uh, the uh, world can provide for us, and I think that's very significant for us. So I want to say that whatever is going on in your life, um, I, was, I mentioned before that this morning... Uh, I wake up and I'm in great pain. I'm still in great pain because my eyes have gotten messed up and I can barely uh, uh think and read and so forth. Yet I decided to choose the way of joy. You got a purpose for this. I don't know what it is. I'm not happy about it. I don't enjoy it, but I can I I found myself this is the grace of God to be honest with you um saying that you got a purpose in this. And I can look beyond that and you will use even this Even the small things, even the small hassles can be things that God can use in redemptive ways. Whatever that might be, you don't know what it looks like. Because you're trying to conjure up a feeling, not an attitude. That's the huge difference. You cannot conjure up joy if you define it as a feeling. You can't make yourself feel happy. Oh, boy, I'm happy all the day. Um, like one of these silly songs that, uh, that, that we used to sing when I was a kid. Now I am happy all the day. Um, it's, not so, it's not so simple as that. But you can choose an attitude, and that's different, you see. That has to do with my will and not with my emotions. I, I know you, Robert, you're going to... Um, and that, that, I think, is a huge difference. So, do I, what is my perspective? You're what you really, you can look at it this way. It relates to my perspective. Is this something that God can use redemptively or not? Do I feel good about it? No, I don't. I don't enjoy the thing happening. Nobody enjoys alienation, broken relationship. Nobody enjoys physical pain and adversity. And nobody enjoys financial uncertainty. We're not trivializing those things at all. We live in a difficult world. But I, I do believe that we can choose a perspective, and that is where your power of will comes in. I get to choose this perspective, where, whether I will take the way of trust and hope, or whether I'm going to take the way of allowing my emotions to produce despair and uncertainty. That's, I think, a settled disposition. Just describe it as confidence that no matter what the circumstances you're going to be taken care of, and that, and that enables you to transcend the circumstances. That's a very good way of describing it. It's a combination, I think, uh, I see it as a divine human synergy. I think on the one perspective, my choice of trust is an attitude that I embrace, but that also works together with the release of the Spirit in my life, and clearly then the fruit of the Spirit what are they? Love. What's the second one? Joy. joy and peace. Stop there. If we just, if there were only three fruits of the spirit, it would be enough. Wouldn't you agree? Frankly, that's what people really want. They think they want things, possession and uh, happiness and so forth. What they want is love and joy and peace. And that is a product of the spirit of God. So what I mean by this divine human synergy and and, uh, Bruce is bringing in the other dimension is that the spirit of God gives us the power to embrace love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that we ourselves could not manufacture. Nevertheless, he invites us to be obedient and to embrace a biblical perspective and to put our hope and our trust in him. I see them both. I see it as both a human, a divine and a human process. It won't just come upon us. We must, in fact, invite the Spirit uh, to be released in us to trust in him and to choose the way then of asking the spirit of abiding in the spirit uh because that's why I, i say that it's very good that jesus commanded us to love one another not to like one another because there's an enormous difference between the two love like is an emotion or a feeling and frankly there are times when you can you don't like somebody and uh but you can choose the way of love. Again, love really is by, in a similar manner, it's like joy insofar as it's more of a choice that I can choose the way of love even when the feelings aren't present. Take peace as, as the other one. Love joy and peace. Peace in a similar way is a choice. It's not a, If it's just in a feeling, you're not going to just be able to conjure up this peace. But it's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and it's also a choice to choose the way of peace rather than anxiety. Be anxious for what? A few things, right? What does he say? For nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God, and then what does he go on to say? And the peace of God, which transcends all circumstances, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will garrison you. It will guard you. It will protect you. And so, once again, what you do is you choose the way of moving from anxiety to peace by releasing that anxiety to God rather than clinging to it, and then... With joy and peace and love, you receive again the the power of the Spirit of God in you, and you can move through life in a different way. So you can turn anxiety into peace by releasing that problem. And any time I find myself to be anxious, fearful, joyless, without peace, then that's a signal to me that I've taken my problems back. You see, what it reveals to me is that I've tried to now return to managing it myself rather than releasing it to God. And that's when I'm trying to carry a burden that's too heavy for me to sustain. I was never meant to carry that burden. He says, let me be the one. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And you will have what for your soul? Rest. You have peace and rest for your soul when you allow me to carry your, your burden. Because mine is a light burden, not the heavy burden that the world provides. So there's an enormous uh, difference here. The choice is to have trust in the promises of God, and that then brings about a different attitude. But that's still a choice to make the trust. Trust is still a choice. When I, in fact, am choosing the way of trust, I'm choosing the way of joy. I'm choosing the way of trust. I'm choosing an attitude. Joy is an attitude. But don't worry about splitting the hairs uh, on that. Uh, The point here is that all of this comes down not to emotion, not to circumstances, not to external things, but to an internal perspective, attitude, life orientation, trust, a ruthless trust in the promises of God in spite of anything that appears to be contrary. In spite of my emotions that speak to the contrary, in spite of my experiences to the contrary, I embrace this uh, ruthless trust and recognize that there is a bigger story than mine, that God has a bigger story than what I have in mind. And what I want to do when we're together next week, I want to talk about uh, the idea of embedding your narrative in God's larger narrative, and I want to speak in terms of the fact that we must recognize that there are a lot of secondary goods that we are in danger of making primary. And whenever we do that, we will lose our joy. And so uh, the choice is going to be between God and idolatry every time. And there are many forms of idolatry that we can embrace. And there are a lot of good things, but once they become first, they have their own way of destroying us. Inside out, they can distort us and destroy us. So, I want to speak about that. And by next week, I think I'll be able to read some of the notes that I had uh, that I was going to give you today. So, uh, that gives us uh, some orientation per- perspective. This divine su- human synergy that I'm describing is actually part of a process where it's not just an immediate thing, but rather an ongoing thing. And I think that you develop character and skill in the process of trusting him more and more. So a Corey ten Boom, a Johnny Erickson Tata didn't do this all at once, but rather it was a gradual process of choices, choices of trust that lead to greater levels of trust. And so it's never a sudden thing, but really it's what I call the spirituality of small steps, of small things. Being faithful in this moment and then when I see that I've pulled back, I can choose to go back to that. And I think every time I go around that loop, it can, I can. Sh- Gradually, subtly, increase that. That's why if you go to Second Peter chapter one, he speaks about the fact that uh, therefore applying all diligence in your faith, he says, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, see there's a process. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I see him saying here is that you're not going to just get this right away, but in fact, applying all diligence, and that's where the day-by-day challenges, every hour, frankly, applying all diligence, I can choose to grow in those those virtues, uh, those qualities, and that's where the spiritual disciplines come in as well. So it becomes a cumulative process, uh, and frankly, You're going to have a few steps forward and then you're going to have a few steps back this day, this very day. You're going to have you may make some progress and then you might suddenly look back around and say, what was that coming from? But then you at that moment of recognition, you choose again the way of trust and joy. And then when it slips back, but you see what I'm saying? It's a gradual, uneven process, but it is a process where it continues to develop. So don't expect perfection, even this day. You're in a warfare, but live each hour as unto itself. You plan, yes, but what, all you've got is this hour. All you've got is now. Every, every hour has enough anxiety of its own, let alone, let alone the whole day, let alone a, a month. We want the product without the pain. That's what it comes down to. And it's not likely that without adversity... And perseverance in trial and pain, such that we, most of us, have never experienced. uh, That gradual process, and maybe I promise, both of them wrestled with God. They wrestled with God throughout that process. But what produced, what it produced was a quality of character that they would never otherwise have had. This is why I think most people want to know just enough about the Bible to have a more comfortable life, but not so much that it requires major change. That's (laughs) that's pretty much what it comes down to. So just give me enough to make my circumstances a little bit better. I I don't want the full deal. But you see, Jesus said, when you go for when you come to me, you may not know it. You may come to me for various reasons because you want to have a better family uh, life and you want to have this, that, and the other. You're going to come to me for all the wrong reasons, I promise you. But at the end of the day, uh, you didn't know it, but you came in for the full treatment. And C.S. Lewis uses this analogy here in Mere Christianity when he speaks about um, a uh, i going to a dentist and uh, he says you know when i used to have a tooth pain i, I would uh, not try to tell my mom because i didn't want to go she you know she might give me the aspirin that i wanted but she i might she might do something worse than that she might bring me to one of those dentists and you know what they're like once they once they they don't just start with one tooth they start fiddling with everything you <laughs> see and then he says you know give them a little bit and they'll take the whole thing and, he says he, and basically, he uses that, that analogy, and of course, dentists, dentistry is a good deal less painful than it was in, 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 in his day, I can assure you of that. But there was an image here uh, of something that would be painful to bring about a, a greater good. But the, here's the point. When you give him a little bit, you didn't know it, but really, he's going to require everything at the end of the day. What's the cost of discipleship? Everything that you are and have. But that's a gradual process and a growth process. But he will not be satisfied until you are completely conformed to his image. None of us arrive in this life at that. But his desire is when we continue to progress. And it is your progression, not your perfection, that matters. As D. W. Tozer put it, not... Perfection but holy intention is what pleases the heart of God and I want to stress that you can choose the way of holy intention you can't choose the way of perfection but what's going to happen is your intention is going to shape what you become you become shaped by that to which you aspire you become defined by your aspirations by your intentions And so if I pursue this one thing, this one good above all else, that I may have him, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, that I may know Christ, if that becomes my great desire, that I may know you and become like you, that is a process that God will be pleased to answer, though in ways we do not expect. He's going to take you on a journey, but he's going to bring us, and this is where joy comes in, we can be assured he will bring us safely to the other side.